Okay, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of On Purpose. I am Dr. John Duffy here with uh, Heidi Stevens, the Chicago Tribune. Hi, John. Hi, Heidi. How are you? I'm good. How good. are you doing? Good. Um, I feel like our podcast today is going to take a slightly different tone than some of our others. Yep. Yeah, this yeah. is a more serious topic and yeah. deserves um, serious thought on our part. And So Valentine's Day is upon us, which seems like this very celebratory time. We touched upon that in, in another podcast. Um, it also marks the one-year anniversary. Were you struck by the fact, by the way, that the Parkland shootings happened a year ago? Did that seem longer or shorter to you? You know what? Last year, this week last year, is burned in my mind for a couple of reasons. Parkland is one of them. Um, Commander Paul Bauer being shot yeah. the day before Parkland is another one. So I, I don't know that I have the average perspective on that particular event because it 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 does feel like a year ago because I can remember where I was. You know, I, I remember all of that stuff quite clearly in a way that you do when you have a little bit of a personal connection to stuff that happened. Um, yeah. But I but when I wrote about Parkland earlier this week, a lot of people commented either in email or on Facebook like, um, that was only a year ago or, wow, that's been a year. I mean, I think pe- you know our sense of time on a tragedy like that is all over the place. I, I would agree. Um I started my career back in the Columbine days, and um, and time stood still then. Mm. You know what I mean? Because that was such a singular trauma yeah. that um, we psychologists we were talking about this for months, and we were putting together tasks for task forces, and we were talking about like, okay, how do we find that trench coat mafia group of guys who are disenfranchised? We're going to root those guys out. And mm. we thought we had the right mission in mind, which I think in retrospect we were off by a significant margin. Um, but we live and learn, and that's 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, you were uh, writing this week um, about uh, Dave Cullen's book. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He wrote a book called Parkland, um, and it focuses really on the March for Our Lives movement that yeah. grew out of Parkland almost immediately. He's there in Parkland with the kids pretty much from um, the day after uh, David Hogg's first TV interview where he says, I don't want your thoughts and prayers. Um, we need action. You know, when you told me this, I, I was baffled that this guy, so he, he wrote Columbine as well, which I read years ago, um, that he had the presence of mind or the luck to recognize this is going to be different. Some of these kids are going to do something different. How yeah. did he land in David Hogg's you know, um, wheelhouse there. Yeah, it's kind of stunning. So he, as you said, he wrote Columbine. He he spent, I I think, a decade um, researching Columbine. It's painfully... accurate and moment to moment to moment, you you, you feel it. You yeah. Know? He yeah. was one of the first journalists at the school mm-hmm. at the time and then spent a decade researching and working on this book about it. And and actually in Parkland writes about how he sort of swore off writing anymore about school shootings, um, it, partly for self-preservation reasons. He said he had secondary post-traumatic stress disorder and um, really suffered and, and also sort of wasn't sure if that was what the culture needed, more right. <clears throat> attention and more writing yep. about school shootings and about school shooters 
In this book, he takes a very different approach. The shooter's name is never mentioned. And it is heartbreaking. It is an up-close look at the grief and suffering. And it's also really hopeful. And um, I'll read a little bit of what he, he, you know, he, he says here, Parkland changed everything for the survivors, for the nation, and definitely for me. I flew down the first weekend, but not to depict the carnage or the grief. What drew me was the group of extraordinary kids. I wanted to cover their response. There are strains of sadness woven into the story, but this is not an account of grief. These kids chose a story of hope. And that is the story he tells. Um, he takes you to those first meetings in Emma Gonzalez's living room. He introduces you to their introduction to Twitter. He talks about when their Instagram feeds changed overnight right. from sunsets and selfies to, you know, going toe to toe with the NRA. Yeah. These teenagers. Yeah. A, a lot of them too young to vote. And, and uh, you know, just if we remember, and I think some of us forget, I, I watched a film last night um, called Parkland Inside Building 12, and um, and they highlighted lighted many of the same things, also not naming the shooter, yeah, um, but naming all of the dead and all of these kids who took two microphones. What I didn't remember was how quickly David Hogg, Emma Gonzalez, and some of the other kids were in front of an audience. The next day. Right. So the next day, um, and, and I think about the nature of the trauma of what they went through the day before and just the courage and where that comes from to be able to stand in front of an audience. One of the scariest things you can do, notwithstanding, right? Right. Much less during this very traumatic time when you don't know what you're going to get from that audience. Right. Um, I, I, that, that courage, it, I have to agree with Colin, is hope. It is hope. No and matter where, what their political stance is, it's hope. I agree. I agree. And it's a sign of, um, of I think, our youth taking some really shitty circumstances and using them to inspire change and action. And that's sort of the best you can hope for, I guess, as a parent, as a human, um, that Beyond the best, right? I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but but isn't it like um, absurdly impressive, right? You know what I mean? Like I would never expect that these kids would be able to do that ever, right. you know, like and I've been doing my job for a long time and I'm thinking like where are the reserves that keep you from hugging your knees for three months wondering why it wasn't you um, just living that post-traumatic nightmare over and over and over again yeah. and instead creating activism and a voice out of that. Yeah. I don't get it. It's stunning. I I will say there's a tiny part of me that – actually, it's not a tiny part. It's a fairly significant part of me that worries when we focus too much on the hopeful parts and the, you know, wow, what amazing kids parts – that we don't linger long enough on how really, truly tragic this is. And I was stunned as I was reading the book, really at how little I knew about yeah. Parkland, about the kids who died. I didn't know all their names. I didn't know which of them had 
siblings. Right. I didn't know all sorts of details that were absolutely gut-wrenching to read the, this moment where Dave Cullen, the author, is at a hotel that's been pre-designated as the rendezvous point if there should ever happen to be a tragedy at, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. It's this Marriott that's like five miles away. And these parents are waiting. You know, the the shooting happened around two in the afternoon. Correct, yeah. It's one in the morning. And they don't know if their kids are dead or alive. And they're waiting in a hotel for someone to tell them. And they're crying and they're screaming and they're wondering, is my kid in a hospital on an operating table? I hope, dear God, let that be where he is. Let that be why I'm not hearing from him. And what a wild thing to hope for, right? Right. That's your best case scenario. That's the best case scenario. When the morning before, you're just like, you know, it's Valentine's Day. In the movie, one one couple says, we gave our daughter chocolate roses and we said, we'll see you in a couple of hours. Mm. Be careful. They might melt. And there's something about that that was just so human and ordinary and lovely. And, you know, and and the next, you know, you're right, one o'clock in the morning, they're still not sure, like, is she alive or what? Yeah. Yeah. And I have the sense reading the book that if this were a more, if this were a rarer occurrence, we would know every one of those details and we'd be talking about every one of those details for decades. The way now the St. Valentine's Day massacre is a thing. That's still a thing. Sure. There's like candy named after it in Chicago. It's like a tourist thing. But it's a thing because at the time it stood out. It was the thing. It was, it was the, the only thing. thing. Yeah. For people to be killed on Valentine's Day, lined up and shot in, in Chicago. I mean, and now that would barely be a blip on our conscience. And I got the feeling as I was reading this book, I'm a little ashamed of myself and this culture that that this happened um, a, a year ago. And we moved on before we even learned these kind of details. Um, and and the kids inspiring beautiful, powerful activism aside, I don't know, are we capable of demanding and creating change if we can that quickly kind of tune out people's grief and suffering or, or or not even ever even really recognize it in the first place. This is not, I'm not going to a very hopeful place. I'm sorry, but that I, I know he set out to write a hopeful book mm-hmm. and I read it and I was very inspired by the survivors and their activism and their ability to turn their cause into one that encompasses all gun violence, not right. just school shootings in largely white, largely affluent communities. They partnered with kids from Chicago's West Side. They partnered with kids from Chicago's South Side. They flew to Chicago. They flew Chicago kids to Florida. So cool. It's very cool. Yeah. It's it it gives us a lot of things to feel hopeful about and feel optimistic about. And at the same time, it is heartbreaking to read and think this is common enough that these details went largely un 
noticed and untalked about and oh, still yeah. will for anybody who doesn't sit down and read this book. Right. Right. And and um, too many of these things get distilled down to numbers. And I remember when it happened. Um, and again, I, I make this comparison to Columbine because I remember being jarred by Columbine. Mm-hmm. And I can't, and I'm not particularly proud of this at all, I wasn't jarred by Parkland. Right. Um, my initial thought was, oh, how many? You yep. know, literally how many, yep. not like what were their names, what happened, tell me all about it. It was how many, what, you know, and um, and I think there is kind of culturally this odd, and again, I'm not going to a very hopeful, hopeful place either, but this kind of twisted thrill around that something big happened today. Yep. You know you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, that that, you know, oh, something newsworthy happened today. Right. It's um, like the Super Bowl yeah. or a school shooting. It's mm-hmm. like a big thing that we're all experiencing together. Yeah. It's yeah. We're drawn to why big you go to news. the movies. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I'm watching the same thing happen that you're watching happen. Right. It's why I watch House of Cards when, you know, what's happening in Washington seems to trump everything. Pardon my words, but uh, everything that's happening there. Yeah. But 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 I think that um, you know I, I can feel from the book you read, from the movie I watched, that these filmmakers, this author, they're trying to do something different, right? They're trying to yeah. say, let's put a name to each of these faces, and maybe that will ignite some degree of change in the adults and in the kids. Um, and I'll be honest, I have a lot more faith and hope in the kids. You know, like when I watch the David Hoggs and the Emma Gonzalez's of this world, when I watch some of the kids I work with and how strongly and passionately they feel about this stuff, even though, to your point earlier, I think maybe even before we started recording, these kids still have to go to school. Right. You know? That's They right. still have to go, like, in the morning, there's probably in the back of their mind a thought that I didn't have when I was in high school or college but a lot of these kids do that, you know, like, I need an exit plan and right. I want my friends to have an exit plan. And we need to think this, th- we need to have this at least in the back of our minds right. that this is a possibility. And, you know, when I was a kid, this wasn't a possibility. It just wasn't on the radar. Right. If it happened, we didn't talk about it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a, a bit in the book about what one of the survivors talks about how the first day back to school, I think it was February 28th. I think they had two weeks off. Um, that the the line was, you know, so much Play-Doh and so many comfort dogs. There was Play-Doh in every classroom, you know, and comfort dogs all over the school. And um, he said, I don't know what kind of meetings they had, but somebody decided we all needed Play-Doh. Those (laughs) kind of details, you know, they really just sort of gutted me. Now, I I will say, um, you know, I I, I don't want to sound like I don't think the March for Our Lives movement, the Parkland kids are having an effect. I think they are. Right. I I really think they are. And I think that we should look at gun violence the way we look at drunk driving, the way we look at seatbelt wearing, the way we look at smoking, you know, other public health crises. Right that only changed when, you know, a large number of people um, rallied together and said, like, hey, enough. 
Yes. Um, let's change the way the culture thinks about this stuff and sort of tune out the people who say, oh, you'll never eliminate that. OK, maybe we won't eliminate it. We can way decrease the number of people who get killed by dr- drunk drivers. We can way sure. decrease the number of people who smoke. We can way decrease the number of people who get killed because they didn't wear a seatbelt. Right. So, you you know, and that. And that I th- I actually think is happening. I mean, you you can you know f- the donations to the NRA are down now. Is that because Trump's in office and people feel possibly less right. defensive yep. about you know whether their guns are going to be taken away so they donate money less? Hard to say. Um, but there are signs that a shift is occurring, and I think that the Parkland kids get. A ton, if not all. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say all the credit because, you know, the Bloomberg and Moms Demand um, groups for there, there's sure. There's media support for that, right? For the sure. Groundswell. Yeah. Right. Um, but they're savvy and they're smart and they're brave in a way that we really needed them to be in the wake of this. I guess um, I think I think the book is powerful and I think conversations on the anniversary can be powerful because and especially if they recognize both of those things. There's reason for hope. There's evidence that this shift is starting to occur. And this was a terrible, terrible tragedy um, that people will be living with for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And just because it's not a terribly uncommon tragedy um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't sort of spend some time trying to, you know, sit with the weight of it, I guess. And one thing, um, the book may have captured this. The movie didn't entirely because it couldn't. After a year, um, it's not like you see the full effects of how this is going to play out in people's lives. I, I watched this longitudinal work on school shootings and what happens to people who are only involved in like a tertiary way, like yeah. not directly involved, but like I went to that school, I knew one of those kids, he, he or she was in my gym class, mm. and somehow I have fallen into alcoholism, I dropped out of college, I've had failed relationships, I've spent some time in prison. A, a lot of these kids have have really gone off their paths because of the nature of that trauma, I, I believe, you know, sure. because it, it, it's... Not what would have happened, I think, had that not happened. So yeah. I think about this Parkland group, and I can. Um, when you watch this, if you get a chance to watch this movie, you can feel these parents, these teachers, kind of working their way. Oh, a year later, working their way through how they feel about these various things, mm-hmm. and um, and you can feel that they're in process. A year, you know, a year later, oh, they're yeah. still figuring out like. Where do I go next? Do I still want to teach? Do I still want to um, go to college for a lot of these kids? Um, yeah. How do I honor um, this girl who saved my life for mm-hmm. one one girl? Um, and the the looming depression and anxiety and PTSD suggests to me one thing. We have these Sandy Hook communities and these Parkland communities and I think once the next thing happens, yeah. they're out of mind until an anniversary takes place I like this. Right. And, um, and, and the problem with that, to my thinking, is 
I don't know if these communities are getting the support broadly that they need mm-hmm. long term mm-hmm. to make sure that these people are taken care of and that these aren't just broken communities for generations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just defined by, you know what I mean? Like Columbine, Parkland, yep. Sandy Hook. You know what I mean? We know what those words mean to the masses. These are people's lives and communities and towns, you know. Um, That's right. And um, what I like about the idea of the book and the idea of the film is that it humanizes all of it. It brings it down to like, yeah, these aren't numbers. These are human beings living their lives in the midst of this awfulness. Yeah. Yeah. How do we help our kids cope with? The idea that kids just like them have walked into school one day thinking it's a normal day and and then been shot and killed or shot at and yeah. survived. H- how do we help them live with that knowledge? Because they have it. They yeah. My kids have been doing active shooter drills since preschool. Um, <clears throat> even if you happen to go to a school that doesn't do active shooter drills, I'd be shocked if you've raised a kid in this country that doesn't know people walk into school buildings and shoot them up. Oh, not a chance, um, right? So what, how do we help kids with that? Not, not going through life just sort of terrified or, or um, cynical. Like, what's the point yeah. of it all? I could be sitting in algebra and get shot. I think kids are more cynical than terrified. Um I've talked to a lot of kids about this um, in the wake. uh, Unfortunately, I've had a lot of opportunity to do that. And um, strikingly, I don't hear much in the way of fear. Mm. I don't hear like – I hear an absolute belief that somebody could walk into my school and shoot it up. Am I afraid of that? No, not really. Mm -hmm. I mean kids are pretty Mm -hmm. pragmatic in some ways Mm -hmm. and they recognize – uh, the likelihood of that happening is pretty slim. But yeah. if it did, every once in a while you get some bravado like, you know, I would take the guy out, mm-hmm. you know, which sure. I get. I think I would have a little bit of that if I were, you know, 16. Yeah, I would think like, you know, I'll be the guy. Yeah, Immortal. Of course. Right. Yes. Um, but more often than not, there's this idea of we'd find a way. We would, we would mm. take care of each other. We would minimize the damage mm. and we would find a way. And a lot of kids believe now, um, more so than the adults I talk to, they believe they're better profilers. In other words, they're Mm. recognizing that kid's at risk. He is sitting there. He's alone. He's seething. I can tell he's angry. Mm. So if if I ask a kid, by and large, in a session – do you know who your next guy would be? Do you know who that guy might be at your school or from a year or two ago like this guy was at Parkland? Um, an awful lot of kids would say, oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. And so what they tend to do is approach him. This mm-hmm. isn't true across the board, but a lot of kids I've worked with would say either myself or somebody else tends to go up to that kid and ask him, you know, like, hey, man, are you okay? Wow. You know, yeah. um, maybe, maybe I ought to go see the social worker or something like that. Yeah. You seem bummed out here. You know, you're just sitting here alone every day. And there are times when I think, ooh, man, I wonder if that gesture saved 17 lives. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, there was that debate last year over walk up versus walk out. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, someone, I think it was a teacher, 
um, started this, you know, sort of social media movement to encourage kids to walk up to yeah. the kid who sits alone, walk up to the kid who seems disturbed rather than, you know, planning or participating in a walk out. Yeah. Um, I argued at the time and still would argue that you can do both. Um, walking up to a troubled kid shouldn't mean that then you don't walk out to protest the fact that kids keep dying in this country. Of course. Um, <clears throat> in school and out of school. Um, you know, this, again, the the um, model that the Parkland kids, uh, you know, have laid out for all of us is that, you know, guns are a problem in every community. Yep. You know, guns are not something that just white kids in suburban high schools have to fear, you right. know. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I'm encouraged to hear that that you see kids who who do that, who do walk up. Yeah. Um, and that there are also kids who are planning walkouts. I think we need both. Absolutely. Yeah. And and um and to add to that, I um with, I'm going to be cautious here because I don't want to give anybody's identity away in any way. But I have worked with kids who very clearly have had intent, mm-hmm. and um, and so um, from my limited perspective and point of view, what I find those kids need they do, they don't need to shoot up a school. Mm-hmm. Um, they need a voice, right? So mm-hmm. they they feel. And this might seem so cheesy. I'm listening to myself as I'm saying it. I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, that sounds so trite. And yet these kids need to know that there's somebody out there that hears them, that values them Mm -hmm. like every other kid. Now, some of these kids have a lot working against them in their lives so they don't have the reserves that circumvent that. You know what I mean? But um, a lot of these kids – tend to really feel disenfranchised. And I think the moment they feel like, okay, maybe I'm not. Mm-hmm. And, and and sometimes it just takes a modicum of hope, this idea like maybe, yeah. maybe this could work out and I don't have to burn it all down. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I've heard from a number of boys this fantasy of, and, and it's almost a video game fantasy. This mm. it might be another discussion at some point. Yeah. Of you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna burn it all down, and I will live in infamy. But at least somebody's gonna show up at my funeral, even if they hate me. Wow. You know. Yeah. Um, I'll matter. And, yeah. So it's almost this kind of counter suicide idea mm. of mm. you know, like I I loathe myself. I don't know a way around this other than this way, mm-hmm. you know, but um, instead of taking my own life, I'm going to take the lives of a bunch of people with me. Yeah. And know? maybe my own life at the and end. Maybe my own life. Yeah. yeah. Or inspire someone in law enforcement to shoot me. I mean, that you know, the Parkland shooter is the only or one of very few shooters who actually survived. I think he might be the only. I think he might be the only. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, they up until that point have always ended up dead either taking their own lives or creating the circumstances where law enforcement has no alternative but to take their lives right so i suppose the mandate here for us in the last few minutes is 
where's the modicum of hope in this, right? You know, like, so we've painted this grim picture. We know that this is an ongoing problem. I don't know if we can honestly say if we woke up tomorrow and there were a school shooting somewhere in America that we'd be shocked. I don't think anyone would be shocked. Right, right. So, um, and and maybe a couple of minutes is way too short to say, you know, based on Cullen's book, based on this film I watched, that, you know, oh, the answers are abundantly clear. Because I can say from the film, not at all. In fact, it didn't even address answers um, other than, you know, kind of broadly speaking, activism. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily, I don't know how that pairs down to this kid who is sitting alone or in his garage or wherever, disenfranchised and alone and thinking, I don't have any options and Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out in this blaze of glory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting and I would say um, encouraging for me to hear that your experience is that kids aren't necessarily living with a lot of fear around this. and. You know, now that you say that, that does line up with the kids in my life, either the ones I'm raising or the ones I, you know, encounter when I'm volunteering or, you know, whatever it is. Um, They don't seem scared, just like parents, you know, when you're standing around the playground um, or you're waiting at, at pickup, you know, we don't seem sort of constantly on edge, like, is this the day? Is no. this the day? I mean, you you do sort of absorb the news and then as whatever it is, a survival mechanism or evolution or whatever, you do sort of move on. Yeah. Um, Most and, of life has to be ordinary. We can't live in crisis very long. That's right. Successfully. And we do comfort ourselves with statistic, you know, liabilities and, yeah. you know, the the chances of this happening. So, so small, and right? So I can small, move on. Yeah. Right. My kid is far more likely to be injured or killed on the Kennedy, right? Oh, on our yeah. commute to school. Or than... the ladder in the, I don't know if you've heard this bit about, you know, the bathtub or the ladder in your garage. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like those are the real bad guys because you're far more likely to get hurt there. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's worth remembering and it's encouraging to hear that, you know, our, our kids get that too. Yeah. Our kids know that that they can't go through life living in crisis mode and living in constant fear. And, and in fact, they're not. Um, I will say that I think we owe the Parkland families, the Sandy Hook families, the Columbine families, any family who's suffered this sort of grief from from gun violence or any violence, um, we do owe them, you know, the attention that a book like this gives them. Yeah. And I'm grateful for Colin's work. I'm grateful that there's this film um, that you saw that I want to see. And, you know, I think we need both. I don't think we work all that hard to make change until we grasp what's at stake. And I think a book like this reminds you what's at stake, what you're making change for, what you're making change to avoid um, happening on repeat. And um, and to dovetail a little bit with something that you and I were kind of exchanging messages about um, on Facebook and in, and in some of our texts and things, um, I think we both see 
a degree of hope in this younger generation that maybe my generation, your generation, um, either we're tired (laughs) or we just don't have the reserves or we're jaded. Um, But these kids have energy toward activism and change. And, um, And one thing I think is cool is I don't know if they all agree with one another, but they do by and large agree yeah, we got to do something different. We're not willing to have this happen, you know, to the rest of our generation. To We don't want our kids one day to be afraid to go into school. We don't want this to get worse. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I think that was evident, um, you know, to Colin and to anybody who was watching those early TV interviews where, you know, the Parkland kids basically said, like, um, none of us are surprised this happened. Right. No kid in America is surprised no. when this happens. Um We've been waiting for you guys to do something about it. You're clearly not gonna. So, okay, step aside and we will or yep. join us, but you know, we're going to we're going to go ahead and do it. And you know, good good for them. Um I I hate it that they have to. Yeah. Um you know, I wish they could be um channeling their time and energy on something that's either more fun or less literal life and death harrowing right harrowing yeah um but um maybe that isn't the reality of the human experience i i guess not um i, I it distresses me that we get locked into so locked into partisan positions that we're not problem solving right you know we're just kind of digging our heels in and saying either uh, a, a, like I'm proposing this kind of gentle approach. Let's let's seek these people out and see if we can get them the mental health care that they that they so badly need. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's certainly another side that's saying, "Hey, good guy with a gun." You right. know what I mean? Arm um, your teachers. Yeah, arm your teachers. And um, but there's no. I don't think there's any debate between those two that's reasonable. You right. know what I mean? That where everybody isn't carrying an agenda. Right. And I think the kids are better at not carrying an agenda and having a little bit more of an open mind in large part because they don't want this to happen anymore. They really don't. This isn't a political issue for them. They saw this happen. They felt it happen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. They have skin in the game in a way that the grownups don't. Yeah. So you are going to have the opportunity to uh, talk with Cullen. Cullen, yeah. Dave Cullen is coming. It's a Women and Children First event on February 21st, but they're not doing it at Women and Children First Bookstore because they're anticipating pretty big crowds. So they're actually doing it at the Swedish American Museum up on Clark. And it's free and open to the public, but they are encouraging people to go ahead and make a reservation because they're expecting it to fill up. So it's um, February 21st. I think that's a Thursday night at the Swedish American Museum. And I'll be in conversation with him on stage uh, we'll talk mostly about Parkland. Maybe Columbine will come up too. Yeah. I'm sure. I have a feeling he'll um, set aside some time for audience questions. I hope so. I usually think those events are better. If, oh, for sure. You know, people get to um, throw their questions out. So, yeah, I I'm um, I'm really eager to to talk to him and hear what he has to say about um, about the, you know spending that much time with with these kids and and on this story. Um, so yeah, that's the twenty first, and that, and it's certainly no accident that this comes out a year after, right? You yeah. know, um, it's kind of like, hey, 
don't take the lens off of this issue. Right. Um, the film I watched is called Inside Building 12 about Parkland. Um, I encourage people to watch this. It, it, just like Cullen's book, I'm sure, it is not easy to read. It's not easy to watch, but it's compelling, and it does leave you with this modicum of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I encourage that, too. I definitely encourage you to go see Heidi and, and, and Michael, <laughs> Michael Cullen? Dave. <laughs> David Cullen. Why do I keep forgetting that? Dave Cullen. Um, uh, you say Heidi and Michael comes Oh, that's after, exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly what's happening to me here. Um, absolutely do that and, um, and maybe take a moment uh, on Valentine's Day and just honor these folks, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and, and consider maybe what we can all do collectively to make something different happen. Yeah, I agree. All right. This is On Purpose, guys. We will talk to you next time.